their vision of palliative care really wasn't just about medications. It wasn't just about, um, you know, any sort of medical therapies. It was also about this idea that, well, there's all sorts of things that people suffer from. There are all sorts of sources of suffering in people's lives. And if we're not addressing those, then how do we expect them to be well? And so if you go to a rural village in Kerala and you see that there's someone who has a non-healing ulcer on his leg and you see that he's recurrently getting sick, well, that's also a palliative care issue in this model because you also see that his roof is falling in. And so of course he's getting sick all the time because, and of course he's in pain because he has this non-healing ulcer and there's all of these social issues that need to be addressed either because of poverty, because of lack of access to medications. And so there's this really rich social justice component as well to their vision of palliative care. That Welcome to Fit as a Fiddle. My name is Dr. Sneha Ghazi, and I'm a physical therapist and business owner in New York City. Each episode, we bring you phenomenal guests in the health and wellness industry who share inspiring tips and tangible advice. This podcast is for a community of people who want to keep their mind, body, and spirit healthy and thriving. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe, review, and enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode on Fit as a Fiddle. We have our lovely guest today, Ramya Sampath. She is a third-year medical student at the University of Rochester. And today we're talking about a topic that many people probably haven't actually ever heard of in their life, or even if they have heard of it, like me, they actually don't know a lot about this topic. And that's what this podcast is about. We're learning about different um, you know, avenues and health and wellness and educating ourselves. So today's topic is going to be palliative care. Um, so Ramya, thank you so much for coming onto the show off of your busy schedule with school to talk to us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I think it's it's such an important topic and I'm happy that people are interested and happy to be part of spreading it to the world. Amazing. Okay, so firstly, we'll just get started off with you telling us a little bit about yourself and then what drew you to this category of medicine specifically. Yeah. So um, I am a little bit older of a medical student. Um, I started off studying anthropology and kind of traveling the world and being interested in lots of different things, how how different cultures think about all sorts of things. And so um, I really never imagined that I was going to be in medicine until having had some pretty ex uh, significant family experiences with illness. And um, Actually, what brought me to palliative care was my own experiences of my father's dying process. Um, I had no idea anything about palliative care until his very last hospitalization um, in, this, in a series of many hospitalizations um, because he was very sick for a lot of my life um, with many chronic illnesses, um, heart failure, kidney disease, a lot of diseases that have a chronic disease state with a lot of symptom burden, but we were really never talked to about palliative care until that last hospitalization. Um, and after he passed, it really, it was really striking to me when I learned more about it, how much more could have been done for him in his life to alleviate a lot of those symptoms that he was having that really compromised his quality of life. 
Um, and so I, I just couldn't stop reading about it. And I thought it was incredible, the work that palliative care does. Um, I, I was also interested in what palliative care might look like in other places in the world than the United States, um, places where cultural values might be different and how we conceive of an end of life process might be different or even the concept of pain might be regarded differently in terms of what its, what its meaning is to people. And so um, I think just thinking about my own father's experiences with pain and with dying, I was drawn to India, which is where uh, my family's from, um, and just started looking into what palliative care looks like there. And I was so pleasantly surprised to find this incredible wellspring, actually, of palliative care activity, especially in South India and Kerala. Um, and specifically, I connected with this organization called Pallium, Pallium India um, that has this really incredible model of palliative care that is very community-based, um, highly volunteer-driven, and where the concept of palliative care, which I realize we've now talked about a lot without really defining, um, was really very broad. Um, and I think that's important because as you pointed out, people have a lot of misconceptions about what palliative care is about and who it's for. And I think a lot of people may understand it as something, as, as a field of care that is limited to the end of life or to those who are dying. And what being there really showed me was actually how much there is to be done during life for people with chronic progressive illnesses or really people with illnesses that have any sort of symptomatic burden that is significant. Um, that it's not just for people who are dying to alleviate pain, but there are so many diseases where chronic pain is actually part of the disease course. Um, and and. Even more than that, just thinking about Kerala's palliative care model and the palliative care model that Pallium had, their vision of palliative care really wasn't just about medications. It wasn't just about, um, you know, any sort of medical therapies. It was also about this idea that, well, there's all sorts of things that people suffer from. There are all sorts of sources of suffering in people's lives. And if we're not addressing those, then how do we expect them to be well? And so... If you go to a rural village in Kerala and you see that there's someone who has a non-healing ulcer on his leg and you see that he's recurrently getting sick, well, that's also a palliative care issue in this model because you also see that his roof is falling in. And so, of course, he's getting sick all the time. Because, and of course, he's in pain because he has this non-healing ulcer. And there's all of these social issues that need to be addressed either because of poverty, because of lack of access to medications. And so there's this really rich social justice component as well to their vision of palliative care that I was just so drawn to. That's amazing. Uh, it's, it's really interesting what you said because you're absolutely right that most people, when they think the word palliative care in the medical profession, if you even really know anything about it, I just think hospice immediately. I think end stage of life, it's just trying to keep the person comfortable, and that's sort of the end definition of it. Um, and to be honest, it's not something that's, um, at least in physical therapy schools in the, at Columbia where I went, I wasn't really taught it very much. 
course in a very general sense, but nothing beyond just a general concept of what it is. And even that, what you're explaining could and is being redefined right now, especially at this place in Kerala, India that you uh, spend some time in um, and really should be in a lot of parts of the world, right? So I guess right now I would dive in and say, what is what would be the purpose of expanding the model of kind of the orthodox palliative care ideas to what you're describing right now as becoming a more biopsychosocial issue? Yeah, I love that question because I think there's so much that can be done. It doesn't necessarily have to look like this very radical restructuring of healthcare, which I mean, I think many of us might might like that in some ways to be able to have a more responsive, socially responsive model of healthcare. But even aside from that, just being able to recognize that, for example, a patient with end-stage renal disease who can be on dialysis for 20 years before dying. It, these, these diseases, the way that we treat them now, we're able to prolong somebody's life such that even if it's a life-sustaining treatment, they're actually able to live and they're able to, to work a job, they're able to do many things depending on what their other functional status might be. But there's also a high degree of symptom burden that, for example, just using the example of kidney disease, that's the one I know well from my father, there's just, there's a lot of other symptoms like um, difficulty breathing from fluid overload, um, itching all the time, restless legs, um, all kinds of symptoms that in isolation don't necessarily seem like a big deal, but when you put them all together, this is this is a person's daily life. This is a person's quality of life that that is sort of being neglected when we just when we kind of push them aside. And so really the value of palliative care is saying, well, those symptoms are also part of your life. And and that's what makes up your ability to have a good quality of life is to be able to hold the things that are causing you distress at bay. Um, and to be able to address them, even if they're not directly addressing your disease, even if they're not curing you of your disease, those are actually very significant impacts on your daily life. And I, palliative care um, originally came about um, in the UK, um, where it was first developed in response to um, cancer care for, for patients who um, had received chemotherapy and maybe were not able to receive further chemotherapy. And so we're often very comfortable thinking about palliative care, I, I think, in society and hospice in relation to cancer care, where we think, oh, well, that person might have a lot of pain. And of course, we should treat that pain because how terrible that they should suffer. But I think that because we make this association between end of life and palliative care, we're not always able to extrapolate all of the tools that palliative care might have to then be able to treat other kinds of conditions like heart disease or kidney disease, these, these chronic conditions where they're actually a very large burden of symptoms that it's not necessarily going to address the underlying disease if you treat the symptoms, but it's going to improve the quality of life of the person who has that disease. Yeah. So um, on that note, for people who may not be familiar with, and this really largely is me too, the tools that palliative care does offer, like what you just mentioned, what are those things and how could those things be incorporated throughout the lifespan for, for somebody, for just like a general person to understand that? And then also how is that applied into medicine? 
That's a great question. And that's something that as a medical student, I'm still learning a lot more about. Um, and I certainly would not pretend to be an expert in this in any way. Um, the, the one thing we've talked about a lot is about pain, um, because again, so many conditions have a significant burden of pain. And um, people who are trained in palliative care are really well trained to think about multiple organ systems in terms of coming up with a pain regimen that makes sense and that is going to treat the pain adequately while also not compromising other things that people might value at different stages of their life, like um, their mental status, their ability to be alert. Um, especially for patients who have um, chronic diseases or, or, or patients who struggle with breathing um, at advanced stages of disease. Um, they're able to treat some of those symptoms, um, what we call air hunger, where there's just a chronic um, lack of ability to meet the needs that um, the body has um, to be able to breathe. And so those symptoms can be very distressing to the person who's experiencing it. And there are tools that we can use to actually be able to um, calm that drive a little bit so that it's less distressing to experience that. Um, I think one of the biggest tools that is not pharmacologic um, but is really more psychosocial is the tool of communication um, and the tool of conversation that um, that is it's just incredible to watch palliative care physicians and palliative care trained staff like social workers um, to to have the kinds of conversations with with people that really are needed in healthcare, where often often hospitals are just such busy environments and medical teams have so little time because there's so many patients on every floor. But when a palliative care team enters a room, you just feel this presence of calm because they are people who are really trained to have direct communication where the person and the family and all of their values are at the center of that. And the training is so focused on the idea that, um, that we as healthcare professionals and as palliative care people are there to sit with you through whatever it is you're going through. And through this process of listening, through this process of reflecting back to you and through the process of centering your values and helping you clarify your values, that that itself is actually a therapeutic intervention. Um, That's and, amazing. Yeah. That's, I've. It's also so important because if you actually don't have that piece, it almost negates all of the other pieces in healthcare, right? Because communication, like people having white coat syndrome, just as an example, like those kinds of things can impact your, the patient's care so drastically that just having that one piece of improved communication um, with the patient, helping them understand what's going on with them, what their treatment options are, um, and educating them on their particular plan of care. It's just, it's going to cha completely change the ballgame for somebody, especially when they're going through more chronic life, you know, long-standing health conditions that's going to be impacting them for a long time. I feel like we should just wish like everybody was a palliative care doctor in their niche, right? Isn't that Yeah, you want? know, it's interesting you say that. Um, my uh, mentor and the founder of Pallium India, Dr. M.R. Rajagopal, um, when I was in Kerala, we would have these discussions about, you know, I would say to him, you know, I feel like palliative care is really just what all of medicine should be. Like palliative care is really just 
what good communication is and what being, to me, what being a good doctor is. And he would say, you know, Ramya, I think that in an ideal world, we wouldn't need a specialty that is completely separate, that focuses on good communication because in the ideal world, every field would know how to manage all of the symptoms associated with diseases in that particular area and with all of the communication issues and the moral distress and the ethics and the family issues. Ideally, we would really train physicians in every area to be able to deal with all of those things in those areas. But I think, um, you know, there's also the other side of things where that might not be quite the world we live in right now. And, and I think even beyond that palliative care, more than just a set of communication skills is really a very, um, is, is really a specialty that's designed to address some of these advanced complications and symptoms of diseases. And so not to undercut that specialty as well. So I'm, I'm really of two minds. Like I, I want there to be palliative care physicians everywhere in the world. And I also wish that everyone had training in palliative care. Yeah. And us as well, like physical therapists, other therapists, mental health, um, speech language. I feel like the concept, I think like the broader concepts of what, um, the need for palliative care really applies to almost every profession. I wouldn't even say almost, I would say every, could probably confidently say to every profession within healthcare. Um, because having those meaningful conversations, understanding a person holistically, um, understanding the biopsychosocial model and how that impacts the person, the social determinants of health, all of those things are, you know, that's what, that's what medicine is about. And we are, I'm happy that we're shifting a lot more nowadays in the last decade or so into that model. I mean, even personally, I see a lot more um, like continuing education courses in the PT world that offer concepts in the biopsychosocial model, for example. And those are all very, very, very important um, because it impacts, like I said before, it just impacts everything. Like you could give two people like the same kind of medication for a similar diagnosis and like they just go to completely two different directions, right? Same thing in the PT world. I give two people the same exercise plan or same kind of a soft tissue release and it goes two completely different directions. Um, so yeah, that holistic integration I think is a key component of, of this work if you would... Yeah. yeah. And and just I love what you said in reflection just about the person centeredness of it. The fact that a treatment plan has to be so carefully constructed around the person for whom it is and that two people could have such drastically different values, drastically different bodies, drastically different responses. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's definitely where I'd like to see us heading in healthcare too. Totally. And so for listeners, I actually um, came across Ramya's work through an article that she wrote in JAMA Network, which was very touching. And I'll link that to this uh, show notes here. Um, but I think what struck me the most outside of being like, wow, oh yeah, palliative care. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> um, outside of that was how personal your experience was. Um, having lost your father, which, you know, my condolences to you and your family and having to go through such a medically and, uh, you know, invested sort of a period of your guys' life. And then it's great that you came out of that in such a positive note to actually serve people in that same way, the way that your father was helped and served in, in his care. But I think what struck me the most was how personal that, uh, 
article was that you wrote and the message that it sent was, you know, you might go into a field or go into a situation with a completely different perspective when it comes to something related to healthcare. And then what you experience there can actually totally change how you see the world, how you see other people, how you see health, um, how you see relationships, and then that shapes your future in so many different ways. So I loved it. So thank you so much. I have the chills talking about it right now. Thank you for, for that article. And if you wanted to add anything to it, I would love for you to share more about it. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate those reflections. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that you found it meaningful. Um, you know, I, I think actually a lot of people have reached out to me to say, wow, what a personal piece. I'm, you know, thank you for, for, for writing that and, and putting it in such a public forum. And, you know, to me, it is obviously personal, but I think that all of the sentiments that I felt that then were able to be explored just by the fact of me being at Pallium, the fact that I had watched my dad decline for years and not receive the kind of care that I now know is possible. Um, I think all of that had been stirring inside me for so long that there was no choice except to put it outside. And, um, and it actually was, it was really, it was a difficult, painful, but also incredible growing experience for me to be at Pallium, see the kind of care that was being provided there, feel the almost sense of regret even if it was not, you know, my fault or something, um, but feel all of those difficult feelings while I was there. And then to be able to come out of that armed with this knowledge that there's actually so much we can do for people, even if that's just being present and just reassuring them and just, you know, it's not a just actually that those actions mean a lot to people. And um, I think that for me, that's certainly been, a really positive message as, as a medical student where it often feels like, you know, I don't, I certainly know much less than anybody else on my team. And so what I can provide is that hand to hold. And what I can provide is the assurance that I'll be there tomorrow morning when you come back from this, from this imaging and we'll talk about it. Um, and I think that that's been really validating both in the sense that there's really something that everyone can do for anyone, if that makes sense. Like there's a role for every team member to play in, in helping a patient or in helping someone who's in need. Um, but also in that, yeah, our, our very difficult experiences often are enriching and have um, positive outcomes. And so I'd like to think that um, my dad thinks so too. I think he does too, Ramya. I do, I do so too. Um, I think it's beautiful to have that perspective, um, being able to come out of a situation and take the good that comes out of it because it's so hard to do that, especially when it comes to loss. Um, so I'm, I, I think it's incredible and I think you're also an inspiration to a lot of people out there who have lost people in the last couple of months that's been really traumatic. Um, so thank you for that. And also I'm so happy and excited for you to become a practitioner soon, to become a licensed practitioner. And we'll, we can all rest in peace that we'll have one extra 
um, physician out there who will have so much empathy and so much love and so much commitment to the work that they do. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope everyone gained a lot of new information out of this episode. Please subscribe and review the show. It means the world. I can't wait for you to listen to the next episode.